morning. morning. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. Uh, You know, as, as I've studied through the scriptures, I've started to recognize just the importance of fathers so much more. Ephesians 6 says that that the fathers have the privilege or the right to train up their children in the way of the Lord. And in Malachi 4, it says that, that God will turn the hearts of the father back to their children and the children's hearts back to their father. You know, um, the, I think David wrote it really well in the Proverbs in 17 and 18. He alludes to the fact that it's the self-image of a child is developed through the father and that their destiny well, the words spoken to them and over them by the Father kind of solidifies itself. I, I don't have a ton of fond memories of my biological father, but I thought I would share one with you today, if it's okay, uh, to start us. Many fathers, um, I'll get to that in a moment, I'm like them, uh, stand on the side, stand inside the pool while their child stands on the side and waits for them to jump to them, Okay. My father asked me when I was four years old, um, let's say he encouraged me uh, to go off the high dive, 10-foot dive in a 12-foot deep pool at four. Now, I could swim. I had been around water for, since before I was one, but I had never been so high or intimidated by the height of that, that dive. And so when I got up there, I was contemplating all that could go wrong. You know, in a matter of instance, like it felt like hours, may have just been minutes, but I felt like really unsure of myself as I looked at the distance below me, never thinking that in the Midwest, one of those gusts of wind could have easily blown my little thing off, off the dive at any point. I could have just been whisked away. It wasn't that that scared me. It was the uncertainty of what it would feel like to free fall. And so... My, my father kept encouraging me until my feet left the platform. And, you know, it's in that moment uh, that your feet leave the platform at a height at four years old that sheer panic comes over you and your eyes widen and you, you fall so fast and you think about, again, how, how I may not survive this, you know, you know, all that comes to, to be, but it's over in an instant. And I remember hitting the water and as I submerged, I felt myself swim back up and emerge from the surface. And in an instant, like all that emotion that went from contemplation and, and fear to sheer panic to the pain of belly smacking on that water to coming up underneath the water, okay. Like, I had survived it. I was okay. Like, I, I had been able to get up out of the water and swim to the side, and I had done something that I had never done before. And my father led me to that place. And so I, I encourage us to remember the importance that fathers can play. See, with my own children, now, I've, like most of you, I wouldn't necessarily encourage my four-year-old to go off a high dive at 10 feet, but I would sit in the shallow end and wait for them to come to me. And I remember those days when they would stand on the side contemplating all that I had, you know, and I probably wasn't as uh, sweet in that moment. I'm like, look, I did this. It was 10 feet high. Come on, John. you know, like, but I remember watching them contemplate it. And then when their feet left the side, their eyes widened, you know, just the pain. I can see it on their face. I can feel what they're feeling. So I don't pull my arms away. 
I leave my arms there. And the moment they feel dad's arms embrace them, it was sheer comfort. They came to a place of safety and peace, and, and they were excited, and so excited that they wanted to do it again and again and again, and daddy, let's throw me now, throw me daddy, do it, and daddy needs a break, you know? But that moment that I had to coerce them into, because of safety, led them to want to do it again and again and again, and we're just like that. No matter how old we get, we, we want to be able to come to a place of true honesty and vulnerability, and we want to be able to find people that will create safety for us to be our honest selves. And if, if I'm honest, let me just ask this question. How many of us, our honest selves, just aren't that pretty? And we want to be able to come to a place where we can be our honest selves and people create safety for us to do that. And to be completely honest, as we get into the scripture today, we're going to look at how a father became so desperate that he knew that he could turn to the only place uh, in his daughter's time of need and his hands were better uh, to trust Jesus with her than she was in her father's hands. He needed to be able to place her in Jesus' hands because they were far suited. They were the best picture for him or for her rather than in his own hands. And so I want to tell you that we sing it a lot. And there's no way to get to the Father, the, the Father who is in heaven except through Jesus. But he is truly good. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You've tasted and seen how good the Father is. And... You so good that maybe you, like me, need to trust your children, fathers, to Jesus' hands more so than their own, because in my hands, I'm painfully aware of how much I can mess it up, but in his hands, we're going to see greatness. Amen? Amen. So um, this morning, I'm just going to begin by reading in the passage of Mark 5, verse 21. It says this, that when Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I simply touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. Once Jesus realized that the power had gone out of him, he turned to the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? You see, the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who touched you? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And the woman, knowing that all that had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the truth, and he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came to the house of Jairus, or came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and said, Your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? So, overhearing this, Jesus told him, 
Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with the people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And he put them all out. He took the child's father, mother, the disciples who were with him, and he went in to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said, Talitha come, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders that no one be told about this and that he, they give her something to eat. In this passage, we see that there are three people who desperately need someone that they can be completely honest with, that they can be completely vulnerable with. And they all have a need, someone they can be completely free with, someone they can trust their largest needs to. And those three people are the synagogue leader, Jairus, the woman with the blood issue, and the little girl who's 12 years old. I want to start by looking at uh, Jairus, but I want to be very clear. All three of them come, meet with Jesus, and, and they have to call upon Jesus. They all come, and they all call upon the very person of Jesus to fix their need. So number one, Jairus had to overcome his pride the pride of status to come to Jesus. Now, uh, it says that Jairus was a leader in the synagogue. So that means that he would have had continual contact and sound relationship with the Pharisees, Sadducees, and other religious leaders like scribes. That would have thus put him in the category of those who hated Jesus and those who were opposed to Jesus' ministry. So most of his dealings, most of the people that he's around are those opposed to Jesus, not those pro-Jesus. However, in desperation, Jairus comes to Jesus because he sees that without him, his little girl is dead. In fact, in Matthew 9, 18, it literally says as much. My daughter just died. Will you come lay your hand on her so she can live? So Jairus has to make a decision and he makes a decision. He can either in his pride stay in firm status with the religious elitists standing with those who in their arrogance and allegiance to their own interpretation of God's way maybe the proverbial pats on the back of those who respect him he can stand there or he can trust Jesus and his way and that Jesus way is the only way his little girl is going to be saved and he can fall at Jesus feet in humility trusting her to him you see he had come to the place because, uh, like we have, he had learned that Jesus had authority in his teaching and he had authority over everything. So he knew that Jesus was the only one that could save his daughter. He could, and I want us to pay close attention to this, he could, in his own personal pride, stand proudly in the embrace of those Pharisees. He could stay in that status without really losing anything. Or... He could in desperation fall at Jesus' feet like a fool and trust his daughter to the embrace of Jesus. So Jairus knew and trusted Jesus was the best source for his daughter, that she was in better hands with Jesus than she was in his own. 
Can I ask you this? Parents, how difficult is that to digest? I know it's easy to say, but how difficult is it to digest when we see a son or a daughter go astray? We see a son or a daughter start to go the opposite of Jesus and start to make their own decisions. Or when they face, like we're about to get into a life-threatening issue and we know they're best in the hands of Jesus, but we want to do everything we can possibly to fix it. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Anyone ever come to that place where you've done everything that your hands can do and there's no answer, there's no fixing it. You come to that place where you you eventually must hit your knees and go, God, they are in your hands and they are in your hands above my own and that's the best place for them. See, Jairus, a synagogue leader who had all the status that he could have wanted in well regard with those who were respected in his community, Like, this guy has all the best of the best coming around and patting him on the back. But in a moment when he might lose his daughter, Matthew records she was already dead. All of a sudden, status doesn't matter. All of a sudden, your right standing with those who are religious officials or those in society that can get you somewhere don't matter anymore. Anyone ever come to that point of desperation? All of a sudden... When the one that you brought into the earth that trusted you on the side of the pool, and when they left, they found your embrace. When their life is in doubt, all of a sudden your status is no longer in doubt. You could care less. You just want the best for your child. And Jairus' faith in Jesus and his love for his daughter led him to be a fool before man. Can you imagine this picture? This religious leader whom everyone reveres runs to Jesus, throws his feet, throws his knees at Jesus, lays before him. And you understand, Jews knelt for nobody. Jews knelt for nobody except for God. So this religious leader comes and throws throws himself at Jesus' feet on behalf of his daughter, begging for the pity and the move of Jesus. And Jesus begins to go that way. I mean, this is a huge sign. That humility, that, that sense of vulnerability that I need you and I can't do without you evokes Jesus to start to go in that direction. But how many of you, um, but before he can get there, we, we read of this little, this really but small but like really big picture right in between. It's like a miracle within the miracle. It's like this miracle within, like here's Jairus' request of Jesus, Jesus is going to do something with Jairus' daughter and raise her from the dead. But before he can get there, there's like this little like miracle within the miracle. And a woman who couldn't stop the bleeding. How many of you have ever had that, heard that saying before, that phrase? Like, when it rains, it pours. Or how many of you know that when momentum happens, whether good or bad, and we hate it when it's bad, but when it starts going bad, it's really hard to stop when you have momentum. Right? And... Maybe you've cried out before and said, God, I just desire for the bleeding to stop. At some point, I just want it to stop. Well, that's where this comes from. You see, this miracle that stands between Jairus' request of Jesus and Jesus answering miraculously is about a woman who suffers with bleeding that can't be be stopped. And she has to overcome her religion to come to Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. She has to overcome the religion. Who is this woman? Well, 
She's a woman who, um, better, better, let me back up. So if a woman comes into her menstrual cycle monthly, she would be put outside the camp for a period of days until that stops. Why? Because during the menstrual cycle, she's considered unclean. She cannot touch anyone. Even though she's not contagious, there's no issue. Because that was tied to the curse, people saw her as unclean and cursed by God during that period. So they put her outside the camp. She was connected to no one. Here comes a woman who has this issue but cannot stop the bleeding. For 12 years, for every year that this little girl, Jairus, has been on the planet, this woman has been bleeding and bleeding out. She has sought the best of the best in doctors. She spent all that she has to have her issue fixed and no one can fix it. In fact, it's getting worse. You see, it's, it's ironic that she has been bleeding for 12 and the little girl is 12 years old who's just fighting for her life at Jairus' house. And on this day, we don't know if they knew each other prior to this, but on this day, their two lives intersect in a miraculous way and both are going to be dramatically saved. In fact, the word here in healed used twice, once in reference to the child and once in reference to the woman, the word healed is sozine, which comes from sozo, which means to be saved. And so you have this woman who cannot stop the bleeding and has been ostracized and isolated by herself for 12 years outside of community comes to Jesus and again Jews knelt for no one throws herself at Jesus' feet she is willing in her in her desperation because when you're desperate you don't care about status again hello if she came into the marketplace she was required to yell unclean unclean so that everyone would part ways and she would touch no one so that the curse that was on her would not be transferred to anyone else in this moment, the crowd is so large. Can you imagine how many people she bumped against and how many people bumped against her? How many people she infected in a matter of moments just because she knew that Jesus was the only way that she'd be healed and she trusted him alone. And so because she trusted that he alone could stop the bleeding, she presses through that crowd. Not, not like she normally would, yelling unclean. Un unconcerned about her status, unconcerned about how she may infect someone else. She just wants to be healed. So she presses through simply to touch his garment. It says that Jesus felt the power leave him and he asks the question, who has touched my clothes? Now, if we understand and trust the omniscience of God, we would know that at no point Jesus didn't know who touched his clothes, right? If he's 100% man, which he was, he might be confused about the issue. Maybe he didn't see it coming. The disciples surely said, look around you. You're being hit from every direction. What do you mean who touched your clothes? We're crowded here. I'm like sardines trying to move towards Jairus' house. But because he's 100% God, he was not ever confused about who it was who reached up and touched. So why does Jesus ask? It's not for him, it's for her. Jesus brings her to the forefront of the, the society and the forefront of everyone's mind so they can see, do you know who just touched me? The one who should have been yelling unclean, the one who should have been put outside of this, pushed her way through this crowd touching you, you touching her has touched me. And what has happened, woman? Immediately the bleeding had stopped. So, so. 
been healed. And Jesus looks at her no longer with this issue. And he says, she has been restored. Not only physically, but ceremonially. Not only in her spirit, but to you as a society. She is no longer to be put outside the camp. She is welcomed back here by me and she need be welcomed back by you. Though she suffered for 12 years, the suffering is over. She's back and you need to embrace and accept her. It says that she fell at his feet as he calls her forward in fear and trembling. But we need to understand that what she is afraid of isn't that she is fearful of Jesus. You gotta think about what this woman has been through. It's an awe that we're talking about in this passage. She comes to Jesus trying to touch his clothes and hide in the crowd because she's been told her whole life that she is outside the camp for the past 12 years, completely unconnected to anyone else. For a moment in desperation, she didn't care who she bumped into, but in this moment, now it's gonna be brought to light. She falls at his feet in fear and trembling, not because she's afraid, but because she has spent everything she has and seen all the best of the doctors and no one could fix it. Luke records this very miracle, the doctor, the physician, and he says she was incurable. And Jesus brings her forward. She falls at his feet in fear and trembling because in an instant, Jesus healed what no man could. In one instant, Jesus did what no one and no amount of money could fix. Amen? So Jesus restores this woman. And then before he can make it much further, it says that he calls her daughter. As he looks at her, trembling in fear before him, he calls her daughter. Now, the reason I love this and I bring this up is because this miracle that's sandwiched in the miracle of him healing Jairus' daughter is that she was undignified. She was cast out. She was isolated. Jesus looks at this woman, calls her daughter, restoring her to himself restoring her to society and restoring her, like in introducing her to the family of God. This woman who was undignified as Jesus on his way to heal and save the daughter of a dignitary was called a word of endearment that dignified this woman. She had been undignified for 12 years and now he gives her dignity by calling her daughter as he's on his way to save a daughter. Hello? It's, it's remarkable, Jesus, even in how he addresses people. We want to talk about the authority with the teachers and the, the miracles that he can perform, but even in the endearing way he addresses each of us, we need to recognize he loves us and he's telling us, not by what he does and not just with the authority that he has from God, in the way that he speaks to you and I and even to the least dignified, he gives them dignity. He told her she was healed by her faith and free from suffering to go in peace. So then he turns to go towards Jairus' house and heal the daughter of this dignitary. And he hears that she's already dead. So why bother? Now, can you imagine what's going through Jairus' mind right now? I am this pinnacle in the community who threw myself at your feet. 
I came to you in humility and vulnerably saying, I can't do any more, here's my daughter. And then the time that you took to pause and heal this other woman, my, my daughter has died. I came to you like a fool. And in the time that you took, if you would have just walked a little faster, if you'd forgotten about this woman, not made this whole scenario happen, this whole case within the case, if you would have just walked toward, maybe, maybe my daughter could live. Could you imagine all the fury that must be going through Jairus' mind as a father? And Jesus turns to him and says, it's okay. Be at peace. Don't lose it. Don't lose your mind. You came to me. Don't worry. She is fine. She's just sleeping. I mean, as a father, what can you do other than just hope? That's why you came to him in the first place. So as he's walking in, he sees this commotion. Everyone's in mourning. Everyone is terrified and they're brokenhearted because the baby is dead. He walks in and says, why, why, why is all the commotion? Why is everyone mourning? She's just asleep. They all begin to laugh at Jesus. What would you do? You've had a physician declare her dead. They laugh at Jesus. She's just asleep. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring the people who need her to live most with me in the room. I'm going to, I'm going to bring in the people who trust me the most with this woman's life, this little girl's life. I'm going to walk in with my inner three who trust me, the, the disciples, the apostles who are going to be left this ministry and her father and her mother, all the scoffers be done. Get out. All scoffers get out. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been skeptical of what you see going on in religion? I, I for sure have. And I think that we need to. We need to discern what's of God and what's not. But have you ever asked yourself, ever wondered, I see something going on that I don't understand. And you ever, ever wondered, maybe, maybe that is of him and I'm, I'm missing it, I'm, I'm wrong? Ever wonder? Maybe I've just become too skeptical? Here's the thing, I don't want to be put out with the scoffers. Hello? In humility, I don't want to be put out and humiliated because I was the one found laughing at Jesus. Hello? Jesus puts the scoffers out and he takes those who are desperate in and they trust him. It says in verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came to him and said, why bother? His words were, do not be afraid, just believe. Church, can we simply believe or we be counted amongst the scoffers? And then he goes on in verse 37. He said, he did not let anyone go in except Peter, James, and John and those, the father and mother who needed him. He put them all out in verse 41. It says, he took her by the hand and said, Talitha kum, or little girl, get up. And immediately that girl stood up. And then he does something that I think is remarkable and it's not talked about enough in this passage. He says to them, feed her. Now, immediately, we need to think about why he's asking to feed her. Sure, she died, she's gonna need the physical strength. So food is necessary for the body physically. But what is he doing? How many of you know that when we break bread, walls come down amongst us? Okay? We break bread. In their society, they would break bread together. That's why Jesus was so offensive to the religious leaders. 
Why does he eat and dine with sinners? When we eat together, walls come down. He looks at them and says, feed her. Because not only has she been brought back from the dead, he's restoring her to her community just like he restored the woman of the issue for 12 years to her community. Amen? You have this mirror image of these two, these two women, one who has suffered for 12 years and one who's only been alive for 12 years and takes her last breath at 12 till Jesus comes. And the bleeding can't stop till Jesus comes. And in a moment, it's almost as if he saves them both, resurrects them both. It's not as if, it's not like the, the little girl's the only one who came back from the dead this day. She physically came back from the dead and was restored to community. But can you imagine being put outside of society for 12 years and then all of a sudden, in an instant, you're made right with society again? You're coming back from the dead. Hello? And so we look at what Jesus does. And we got to recognize the way that the, the little girl overcame to come to Jesus. Jairus' daughter overcomes death to come to Jesus. And the thing that's beautiful about this interaction is the little girl didn't do anything to come to Jesus. She just laid there. Jesus came to her instead. Jesus comes and he looks at her ailment and she overcomes nothing. He comes on the simple compassion of her father who put her before him on on her behalf and he overcomes everything for her she overcomes nothing folks can i tell you that's the gospel hello let me say it again she overcame nothing in her deadness lay there as he called her back to life he overcame everything for her and that is the gospel. No amount of doing or striving or atoning for sin restores our brokenness, makes us whole, grants us anything other than his work unto everlasting life. We can strive by our own hands, but it's only by Jesus' hand and his work by his hands that we have the ability to overcome death just like this little girl and we're restored. And that's what Jesus wants for you today. He's already come down. His arms are open wide like a father waiting for a child to jump. He creates safety, but how are we going to respond? You see, many of us, we've been walking with Jesus for a while and we go, oh, it's that time of the service where it's for anyone who's not in Jesus. Let me tell you something. This is really important. Jesus said, you cannot me by disciple unless you otherwise come to the cross daily put down the, your sin, your arrogance, your selfishness, your desire for status, the things that you're trying to save by your own hands, put that down again and not your way, but my way. Not your will, but my will. If you don't do that daily, you are not my disciple. So are we gonna allow pride, hurt, past guilt, shame, whatever else holds us back from coming and responding to Jesus and calling upon his name, stand in our way? He's already come to you. All we have to do is jump. You see, this morning, I need to ask, what's standing in the way of you coming to Jesus? For, for those of you who don't know him, maybe it is pride. Maybe it is religion. 
but neither are excuses for missing the person of Jesus because we are called to come to him and we're all required to call upon him humbly in order to be saved. Just like we watched this little girl, just like we watched the bleeding stop. If this is you, we've got to be willing to bow at his feet, foolishly begging for him because we can't save ourselves to heal us spiritually and socially knowing that he is our one and only hope. Fathers, do you trust that he's the one and only hope for your kids, for you, for your wife? Mothers, is he your one and only hope? Because if that's true, do your kids know that? Do they watch you trust your hands or his hands? Do we come like Jairus on behalf of our own children or the generations coming behind us? Do we come on their behalf and put them before Jesus? Because we know, like Jairus, that he's our only hope. We come before him on behalf of our dying daughter and sons who apart from Jesus will, will suffer eternity away from him, apart from him. And maybe today, maybe you know someone who desperately needs to know Jesus and you need to come to Jesus on their behalf. That's why these crosses exist so we can pin those people in our lives who God has entrusted to us. We can place their name there, begging God to move on their behalf and asking the church to join with us. But maybe, just maybe, maybe today you need to be like Jairus a little bit. Maybe today, not just putting someone's name on the cross, maybe, maybe you need to go to someone who's hurting on behalf of Jesus. You need to bring Jesus with you. You see, the little girl waited on daddy to come back with Jesus. Maybe there's someone in this very room that you're aware of that you know is hurting. They've admitted that they were vulnerable. And maybe today is your opportunity as their church to create safety for them as you come alongside them bringing Jesus and the faith that you, that you have in him and you can go to prayer with, you can put that need, that concern before Jesus with them right here, right now as the community of the gospel because in him we trust alone. You see, we know that the Father's good. John 14, 6, Jesus said it like this of himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If this morning we're going to experience that good Father, we have to overcome whatever it is that's keeping us from responding exactly as Jesus asked us to. And this morning right now, we have an opportunity to not only respond to him, but to minister alongside him. And I ask us, will we take it? So this morning, Jesus, we ask that you would come and have your way with us. I pray that you would speak to the, directly to the heart of any individual in this room that right now needs you. Father, I pray that they would humbly come to your feet knowing that you love them and in an act of endearment have come for them and you can heal them, relieve them of that which ails them. Maybe they're so desperate because they don't have an answer. They can be saved. They can have that problem removed. If it's sin, it can be removed for all time. Cast as far as east and west. If they're coming because they just have a desperate scenario, they're in you, but they need you. God, will you move and move on our heart that they would trust you. And God, for those in this room who know of our friends who are going through these issues, may we be obedient to be your hands and feet 
And like Jairus, walk alongside them, come to them, bringing Jesus with us. Like Jairus came to his daughter, I would trust our friend to you. It's in your name we ask it. I'm going to ask you to stand.